Hello, it's Glenn Azell, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Greetings, Royals fans. It is time for yet another edition of Clubhouse Conversation with me, Davo. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals, players, coaches, and executives. And today, speaking of players, coaches, and executives, we have a guy who's done it all in professional baseball. Glenn Azell joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. Azell, to Royals fans, is remembered as the manager of the 1988 Omaha Royals. He guided them to the playoffs and then came up and worked on the coaching staffs in KC for both John Wathan and Hal McRae. Glenn was here from 1989 to 1994 with the Royals at the major league level. But Easy's story goes back a long ways and is pretty remarkable. A guy that grew up in Tucson, Arizona and... Uh, to make the long story short, we'll talk about all this. It will not be a short interview. We'll talk about all this. But a long story short right now to get started, basically uh, loses his scholarship to the University of Arizona because of getting mono, has to work full-time in Tucson, plays in a semi-pro night team, gets discovered, gets a second chance at JUCO. The rest is history. Comes up through the minor leagues, caught 10 years as a professional minor league catcher, ends up coaching, managing at the minor league level, lots of time in the major leagues. Like I said, with the Royals from 89 to 94 in the big leagues, ends up becoming an executive with the Detroit Tigers. All that and so much more we talk about with Glenn Azell from his home in Tucson. Looking very forward uh, to speaking with him, talk with him yesterday for about 15 minutes. Very, very kind, neat, and just man filled with great stories. And I cannot wait for this as he joins us live now here in March of 2016 on Clubhouse Conversation. Glenn, good morning, first of all, and second of all, how's everything going with you? Well, I'm doing fine, and I'm uh, totally retired. I I was fired, Dave, in 2010, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, I think I, w- I was one year away from all of my, uh, you know, the retirement stuff. And... During the course of the fall, this was in June when I was fired, so during the fall, uh, we did not take, or I did not take a job and didn't look for a job. And so once we hit after Instructional League and after Arizona Fall League where there was a possibility of me going and trying to find a job, you know, I became totally retired. So we're in Arizona. We've moved to Arizona a year and a half ago. Uh, I was raised here. I was gone 50 years, and I'm back, and just happy as anything. And so is my wife and I, and it's just a wonderful feeling to be here and just kind of do what you want to do, David. Yeah. Well, you you were uh, still in the Kansas City area until a few years back, right? We left. I sold a, a place out on um, 151st uh uh, it, was a little, it was a nice little townhouse. I had that place, and I had a place down in Florida where I had I had bought in, in 2002. And uh, back and forth from uh, 
from Lakeland, which is where uh, the, you know the Tigers uh, train. I worked basically out of there for the last several years of my career because it wasn't far. Or and of course I traveled a lot, but you know spring training right there about an hour away, and uh, plus whenever I would get home, I I could fish and do a whole lot of that kind of thing. But we saw both places, Dave, and moved to Arizona. The the humidity was about to get me, and uh, <laughs> obviously the cold weather in KC. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't prepared to take a fall. Yeah, you're you're probably you're probably wise on that. I, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I fall every year. So, <laughs> oh my God, you're a young man. What is the deal? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's bad. So something exciting that's happened the last years as well. So 2012, you got inducted into the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame. So that you know, right where there where you grew up. Talk about uh, what an honor that was to you. Oh my goodness, that was uh, well the gentleman that uh, recommended or. Uh, recommended me for it was a guy that took over my little league team when I was eight years old and I learned so much from him you know I don't even I don't you know you don't even realize what you know and what you don't know and where it came from until you sit back and you say oh my god this is this guy did this and you don't realize how much you put into what you do you know especially staying in baseball all my life and and coaching and what part of uh, this gentleman by the name of Dean Metz, uh, did I use throughout my whole teaching career, coaching and and all of that. You know, it was so wonderful. But but having gone and being away from Tucson for so long, and it was like I went, you know, full circle. A lot, a lot of people talk about full circle. Well, I started Little League here. Well, actually, I started walking across the street whenever I was about four and a half and playing with my brother's uh, PE class. <laughs> and that's where my baseball career started. So it was so cool. There were so many wonderful people and, and so many people that were really uh, part of what I became that was from here. David, it was just a... Uh, I sat there and I looked around and I looked in the... In the 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 uh, induction day with the dinner and all of this and it was just say wow I, this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and these people and this community it was really nice thank you Dave yeah. Yes. That's that's so cool, and uh, you know something I'm sure you probably did the last couple of Octobers is sitting there in Tucson on your TV and probably watching the Royals make their World Series run. So how rewarding was that for you to see that, and what made them so special from your perspective? Oh boy, I tell you, uh, you talk about special. Yes, when I was uh, before I moved out here in Kansas City, everybody, you know, the, the Royals were doing it right. Dayton Moore was doing it right, and nobody really knew that, you know, for the most part. People, you know, why this, why that, why the other. And it's just all the stuff that's been printed and talked about on the radio and everything. But I knew I knew what Dayton was doing. I had, I had worked against Dayton when he was with Atlanta. He was director of uh, uh, player development, and I was director of player development with uh, Detroit. And... We weren't far away, but I knew, I knew this this young man had absolute wonderful qualities, and I knew 
he was doing it right. Well, finally, whenever it, when all those young guys hit, oh, Lord, you know, in, in 2014, I sit back here and I just smile, and oh, my goodness. And somebody really is teaching well. And I love Ned Yost. You know, people might, the guy at the, at the store, the butcher at the store, where I used to go in KC, he's, oh, man, we got to get rid of Rios, this, that, and the other. That's not, okay, that's cool. But just watch and just wait and smile as you go because it's going to be really, really wonderful. And then they won last year. Oh, my goodness. I was so proud of those guys. I got um, Dayton Moore's book, and my, my daughter sent it to me, but she had called his office, and he sent me a... Uh, a little a little scribble in inside the front page, and it was, I hope we continue to make you proud, easy. And you know what? Oh, I've not been there a long time. You know, I hadn't hadn't worked with Casey in a long time, but boy, it was sure wonderful just to watch this thing grow like it's supposed to. It takes a while, and it's hard, but it it will. If you have the right people running it, it's going to work, Dave. Yeah, how about uh, how about that parade? By the way, eight hundred thousand people. Did you see those photos of that? It was like Thanksgiving at the plaza, wasn't it? Yeah, well, even more. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! That was. How about that? That was. You know what? I I spent twenty plus years in KC. I worked six years with the Royals, and you know, I'll tell you what, Dave. In nineteen ninety four, think back. I don't know whether. You, Oh, you're such a young man. <laughs> oh, I, rem- I remember 94 well. I, rem- I remember it really oh, well. Oh, we, we went into November. We went into uh, August. We had won, uh, what, 14 in a row. Yep. Very quietly. Tom McRae was a skipper. I was fortunate enough to be his bench coach. But we went in, and we had won 14 in a row. And I remember, Alberta, I, I just said hello to my wife. She I remember the uh, the uh, somebody some interview guy asked uh, how, uh, Brian McRae, you know, how did this happen? And Brian said, you know what, we knew it was going to happen, and it just was a matter of time. And all of a sudden, you know, boom, we're we're on a roll. Then Seattle comes in, they beat us, they break the streak. And what happens after that was the very next the very next day or two days after that, I get a phone call and the, at the night time said, "Will you be uh, available at nine o'clock in the morning?" Boom, the strike hit. Yeah. <sighs> and you know what, Dave? We were gonna we were gonna win. We were two games behind Cleveland, I believe, and two games both Cleveland and Chicago. But we were good. We were good. And Anyway, that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to talk lots more about that 94 team because I have a couple questions on that a bit later. But but let's go way back then and start with your youth then. So like you mentioned, Tucson, Arizona, Amphitheater High. Um, so let's kind of talk about your early influences with baseball. Who hooked you on the sport as a kid? And uh, who, were you, who was your favorite baseball team and your favorite baseball player growing up? Well, you know, I, I think it was... Uh... My favorite team, it was Cleveland. You know, Cleveland was here. Cleveland trained here. Uh, and honestly, I 
don't know, being away from the summertime uh, baseball, you know, the big league baseball that's in the summertime, I don't know that I always had a, a uh, uh, most favorite. But I did love watching good baseball games. Oh, my goodness. And I was so busy playing, I didn't even think about having a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Whether it was whether it was fast pitch softball, whether it was uh, city league baseball, it didn't matter. But I had there were so many men, uh, so many coaches within this community, and and whenever I was inducted into the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame, we had to do a collage, and at the bottom of my collage, I had small pictures of all the people who were really significant in my development as a not only as a player but a person and every one of them every one of them Dave was uh, was guys from my youth and most of them most of them went from like junior high back then you know they would progress to high school and coach in high school and then I played with I even played with some of my coaches in summer ball <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh, oh golly, I could name I could name so many, but I, it, it was just uh, just being fortunate enough to work around and and be coached by guys who cared, who really really cared about not only about you as a as a player, which was you know not real significant back then, but as a person, and that was that was the neatest thing. Now, I learned so much from my my guys, you know, from these guys. It's it's amazing. Well, I know something, uh, you know, kind of difficult happened to you uh, and your family during your freshman year of high school. Then, so your dad suddenly passes away. It's the day of the championship oh, how did game. You know this, Dave? <laughs> I do my research. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> so, I mean, it, uh, you know, so it's the day of the championship game, right? So I'm assuming that's probably, you know, the worst day of your life or, or one of them. You know, what do you remember about that? And what did that, you know, how did oh, you get through that? Goodness. Uh, it was, it was, being, it was in May. Today was supposed to be the championship freshman baseball game, okay? I never had to practice in high school in, in baseball. Because I played on the freshman JV and varsity team, <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah, that was pretty good. Anyway, we were playing. We were to play for his championship this afternoon. Well, my dad passed away at like five o'clock this Tuesday morning, and uh, I went to school in the afternoon to get ready to play and to put my uniform on and play. And our principal would not allow me to play because I had not attended school (sighs) and did not budge. And the worst part about it is I knew my dad in the old Plymouth would have been sitting out on the street watching my ball game, but I was unable to play. And... Oh wow! I, I we talk about that, and it was it was and has been something that I look back on, and I say, "Oh my God, why? Why was I not able?" Anyway, I passed that and several other things, 
but that was a sad moment in my life. Yes, it was. Yeah, well, the next few years you uh, continued to make him proud, obviously. You were a star in baseball, football, and basketball. You got a scholarship to play baseball then for the Arizona Wildcats. So, you know, you get to Arizona then. You have some really bad luck there then. So you get mono is how I get it uh, during your first semester, and you missed some classes, which kind of ruined your GPA. You lost the scholarship ultimately. I mean, how tough was that, and what you know, what life lessons did you kind of learn from that? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, uh, you know, what happened, I... I had to get my grades right. And back then, in 62, and I don't know how much farther on, uh, how many years beyond that, but the semesters went beyond the new year. And right around Thanksgiving of my freshman year, and I'd already finished, we'd finished fall ball and everything, and uh, consequently, uh, around Thanksgiving, I got mononucleosis in it and turned right into strep throat too, and all of a sudden... We're at the Christmas holidays, and I've not been in school for quite some time. And we go beyond the new year, and I try to go back, and I don't have a chance. I walk in, and I don't have a chance. And so I went to see Frank Sanson, who, and by don't have a chance, I mean my, I had missed too much of the classes, too many classes. And they were tough for me anyway. And uh, plus, uh, you know, like my history class had like about 300 kids in them. Oh, yeah. You know, it was big. It was in a big auditorium. But I went to see Frank Sanford, who was a skipper at UA at the time. And uh, I, I ended up with all incompletes on my... And he says, Glenn, I can't do nothing for you. He says, I cannot do nothing for you. He, uh, uh, you have to... You know, if you're going to go to school, if you're going to play here, you're going to have to go on your own. And for this semester, you can't play, but you got to get your grades right. And I had no choice. My mom was single. Uh, you know, she was a widow, and uh, I knew I either had to had to I had to go to work or go in the service. And I eventually ended up going to work and. Uh, Anyway, that's that's the start of another another of my careers. <laughs> yeah. Well, so l- let's see if I'm right here. So what I read was you end up going to Tucson Gas and Electric. So and you start playing semi-pro baseball, right, for Jack Ellis Sporting Goods at night, and then an opposing coach like happens to see you, and that's how you end up at your JUCO. Tell that story. Is that how that happened? Oh, that was a, that story was absolutely. I'm playing, and I had played for Jack Ellis Sporting Goods for a long time, you know, when I was in high school and all. And Bobby Hart was the coach, and Bobby Hart was a coach at my high school. And uh, Bobby Hart was, uh, oh, my God, he was like my dad. In fact, he passed away just recently, and I was so, I told this story at his, at this service. And uh, anyway, so we're playing for the state championship, uh, semi-pro, all right? We're playing against a ball club from Phoenix, Arizona. And it just so happened the, the coach for the, for the team in Phoenix had just got the job at Arizona Western Junior College. It had just opened up. So anyway, we're playing, and I think we had two, maybe three games. I'm not even sure. But Bobby Hart, who was my skipper, he tells Jack Watson, who had was a skipper of the Phoenix Club and had just got the job 
at Arizona Western. He tells, he tells, uh, Bobby Hart tells Jack Watson, if you want a pretty good ball player, you want to, if you want a guy to get behind the plate and run your club and, and play like hell and, and, uh, you know, be a good citizen and, and just bust his butt and, and make your team, your first team at Arizona Western pretty darn good, he says, take this guy. Well, a week later, I get a call from Jack. They want me to go up there and play football and baseball. I go. <laughs> I thought I had lost my opportunity ever to play baseball, uh, Dave. And, and this started it again, and it was so great and so wonderful. And, and here we go. I played two years there and signed with the New York Mets. And you know what? been a hell of a ride <laughs> yeah absolutely so like you said you signed with uh with the Mets then so you began your pro career in 1966 at three different levels that year including rookie ball low a high a now one of the teams you played on was Greenville where you played with a couple guys I want to ask you about so first of all a very young Nolan Ryan what do you remember about that oh my goodness well we there were five of us when I got there obviously it was after this their season had started there were four guys living in the basement of this, this older lady's house, and when I got there, they took me in. So I was the fifth that lived in the basement, and one of the guys was Nolan Ryan. So Nolan Ryan was like 19 or whatever, 18. I don't know what that he was. Anyway, he had played rookie league the last year, you know, the year before, so he was still very young. And Nolan and I and the four, three other guys, we we lived in this house, and we made do, you know, and to, well, I'll tell you what, I told him one Sunday afternoon, he beat me to death with about a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, 58-foot fastball, and those, and the curveball was about as hard as a fastball, <laughs> and I was pretty good defensively, and I was blocking him like crazy, and I come home with God knows how many bruises on the inside of my legs and my arms, and, you know, just from blocking the ball, I said, I if you ever do that to me again, I said you're gonna be in real, real trouble. <laughs> what a, what a, you know, when you get to today, and you look back at those times, you say, "Oh my God, you, me, Glenazel, you know, got an opportunity to catch that man, and look what has happened with his career. Isn't that something?" Yeah, at 19 years old, could you tell at that point he'd be something special? I'm assuming yes. Well, oh yes. You, well, there was a time against Spartanburg. He punched out, uh, what was it, 19 or something like that? Oh, I don't remember. You know, he he could reach back, and he could fire that pelota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the, the curveball, if you remember watching this guy, you know, his curveball was... was uh, Knee buckling, he and it was just—it was hard. He had the hard fastball, and of course, later on, you know, later on in his career, his changeup was was just electric. But wow, whenever he was young, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know how to throw it, you know, sixty feet six inches all the time. But it was—you <laughs> knew that it was going to be something special. <laughs> For sure, another guy then that you played with on that team who also played with the Royals later on. You played with them a couple more years after that, too. What do you remember of Barry Raziano? Oh, my goodness. 
how could see you brought up a name yesterday of of Ray Palacio, <laughs> yeah, Barry Raziano. <laughs> this boy, he was one of our team. He was one of our uh, roommates. Barry oh. Raziano was a little Italian uh, Cajun from Kenner, Louisiana. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and had wonderful stuff. It was just a matter. I don't know. He was small. Everybody back then, and still not today. They don't think that a you know a small right-hander is worth a damn. But uh, this guy was this guy had the drive and the desire to beat you every moment. That was you know and it was so fun. Uh, well, I had just my career started with those kinds of people, and that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the Mets from 66 to 69, uh, you were with that organization before the Twins made a trade to get you. So t- so let's go back to the day you found out that news. Were you pretty excited, and how did you get that news that you were going to Minnesota? Well, you know what? I didn't know how it was going to manage. I, I knew that my arm had not uh, – my arm had left me a little bit. And I knew that was going to be a problem, but I didn't, you know, I was going to fight to it. I got, I got my first major league contract uh, when I was 25 years old, Dave. And I went to, I went to spring training with Minnesota. I had been in instructional league with them, and I went to Minnesota with, I uh, went to uh, spring training at 25. My daughter was just born; she was like six months old. We were, uh, it was just prime time and during the course of that spring I was I had a hell of a spring my first at bat I think if I'm not mistaken was against Sparky Lyle late in the ball game and I hit a two run homer against him and we went up uh, three to two or something like that and won the ball game well you know you had uh, Rod Carew and you had Harmon Killebrew and you had Perry, the pitcher, and, and oh my goodness, I, I can't remember all of those guys. There was just a bunch of men that really, really were wonderful, not only people, but wonderful players. And Anyway, I was told by Bill Rigney that I had made the ball club, but I had to go to AAA. Well, that was hurtful. And so I ended up having to go to the minor leagues, which was down in Melbourne, Florida, and my wife had to get into an old. <laughs> here's one for you. She he, she had to get into uh, a little Ford Ranchero. Remember the little Ranchero, just <laughs> one seater with a back end, you know, like a like a pickup truck. <laughs> okay, I got to fly to Portland, Oregon, to start the season off. My wife had to drive from Orlando, Florida to Portland, Oregon. Now, how about that? That's from one corner to the other, isn't it? <laughs> In that car, too, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, with with a baby. Her mother came, and we had a cat, and the cat had six kittens. So it was Roberta, Roberta's grandma, uh, Roberta's mother, Lauren, my, my granddaughter, um, I mean, uh, my daughter, cat and six kittens heading from Orlando, Florida to, to wherever oh God, uh, Portland, Oregon. It was just incredible. 
<laughs> That's great. Did you keep the kittens, by the way? I, lo- I love kittens, man. Did you keep them for a while? Well, they shoot. They had hardly opened their eyes. That's where they had to go. You know, that's why they had to travel. <laughs> oh my, that was a. I we talk about it frequently. I have a laugh at it, and Roberta kind of scowls at me, and then she laughs and smiles about it and says, "Okay, you know, it's pretty cool." Yeah, so, well, that's a great story. So, uh, after '73, then, so the Twins let you go. You signed with the San Francisco Giants, where you spent 1974. So you're, by then, you're 29. Uh, that'd be your last season in '74 as a full-time player. Uh, did, did, did you kind of know during that season that would be the last one? When did you kind of realize that would be it? Well, I knew. I, I knew after the Minnesota thing. During the course of the of 1971, I was. I was playing pretty well, and I was hitting pretty well. And I was told from spring training that, uh, that Bill Ridney had to give George Mitterwall a month to come back to his uh, 1969 form, and he didn't. Uh, anyway, and I was playing pretty good. Consequently, you know, I, I was at AAA, and that was that was what I was. And I was a triple-A catcher, and I I kind of knew that I was good with my teammates. I knew what, you know, I, and from there, I knew that 74 was going to be my last year, yes. Yeah, well, you ended up getting your degree from uh, from San Diego State then in uh, in 1976, uh, and then the Pittsburgh Pirates gave you your first chance to manage, I guess, at Niagara Falls. It was while you were in school then. So New York Penn League, 1975 and 1976. How did you get the the Pirates gig, and what was it like managing there in Niagara Falls? Well, I knew that I knew that I could teach. Let's put it that way. Okay? I knew I could teach. Uh, I was working in the San Diego School of Baseball. In fact. Right about that time, I became part owner in it. Uh, a guy by the name of Bob Cluck, who started it. Uh, he was a uh, pitching coach and uh, pitcher, and you know he's uh, he was he was a baseball guy. And during the course of that, uh, in 1975, uh, Bob Skinner, I don't big first baseman, but Bob Skinner, scout now, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, uh, big first baseman, you know, and uh, years past and anyway I Skins was working with us at the baseball school and uh, I said Bob I said do you know anybody that you know can you can you recommend me he says well he said Glenn I don't ever do that I said okay why he says because uh, he says I've seen a lot of a lot of bad things happen with that anyway he got up there he called Harding Peterson who was a general manager at the time of Pittsburgh Pirates, and he went ahead and did this for me. And sure enough, there was a, a job available in Niagara Falls, and Skins uh, recommended me for it, and I got it. And, uh, wow, whenever I retired, I called Skins back, and I said, he said, easy. He says, how many years you got in the big leagues? I said, right about 13. And I said, I want, and I had to thank him, you know, beyond. And he says, you know what? The best part about it is I never got a call about why would you recommend a guy like this guy. You know, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a a great compliment, too. 
Um, oh man, I, you know what? I you you better be humble in this world. You better be humble, Dave, or you're gonna get you're gonna get chopped right off. And I learned that. I you know I think we all learn things like that, and I learned that. And especially you know when people like well, for instance, Skins. He did. He he made a world of difference to the outcome of my life. Yeah. So. For sure. I mean, and you, for, I mean, from there you parlayed it into five years then managing uh, the Padres system then, 1977 at Reno. i got to ask you about that. So, 77 at Reno, you also played 11 games and hit 375 that year, I might add. How, how in the world did you end up playing that year? Well, what happened? What happened? Both my catchers broke their fingers in the same day. <laughs> And I had, we were against the Giants, uh, Fresno, I think. And, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the skipper on the other team. Oh, my God. Anyway, they, I had to, I had to call, whoa. I said, I can't just stick somebody behind the dish out right here that don't have a clue about what's going on. And, and, uh, I said, I have to get behind the plate. And, oh, shoot, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name. We talked to the umpires, and they allowed me to finish the ballgame off. And, honestly, I wasn't worth a damn, but I could, I still could catch. You know, I was, I was still in good shape, and I could catch. But, you know what, I flipped the bat out there a few times and got a few RBIs and got a little, <laughs> you know, about six quails that, <laughs> that, uh, um, Landed on you know that got uh, that landed on the turf and I was it was just something of, something beautiful. So <laughs> anyway, that's how that happened. <laughs> Talk about just good. broken fingers <laughs> and I and oh, oh God I almost had his name anyway. The, the skipper on the Giants club said, "Glenn, don't you ever tell anybody this." He said, "He says I'll probably get fired in a minute." <laughs> and I, <laughs> oh shoot. Anyway, that's where that went right there, buddy. <laughs> 375. I love it. Uh, so next was the Texas Rangers then from 83 to 85. You were uh, a big league coach there, right? What, what did you do exactly with the Rangers, and, and how was that experience? Well, the experience was this. I was coaching, you know, spring training with, with the with – I'd always go to uh, spring training with the Padres. Doug Rader uh, happened to be playing in one uh, – at one of the times, and that was, uh, what, 78 or something like that. And every time Doug was going to be getting ground balls, I just happened to be the guy that was going to be hitting them to him. And he hollered at me one day. He said, hey, easy. He says, what do you take in the morning? And I said, Doug, I said, I just pull my shirt out like this, you know, from the button right in the middle of my chest. I said, this is all I need right here, Doug. And... From that point on, Doug Rader and I were uh, pretty good friends. Anyway, he finished the season with the Padres, went went to play with uh, Toronto, and ended up coming back to the Padres, and then then ended up being the Padres AAA manager. In 80 or 81, I ended up traveling, uh, and Doug told me, 
you know, I, Douglas, I was I was basically a minor league uh, defensive, you know, coordinator. I I I did all the all the uh, uh, setting up of spring training and everything for the minor league guys. And uh, Doug would always holler at me to come over. Anyway, uh, I went to Hawaii where he was managing one time, and he told me, he says, let me tell you something easy. He says, if I ever get a major league job, he says, I will call you. And I said, oh, wow. So in 19... 19- 82 fall, he got a call from Joe Klein. He wanted him to manage the the Texas Rangers. He took that job, and from there, he once he got the clearance, he gave me a call. It was a long, felt like it was like a month, but it was maybe five days or six days, and I'm saying, oh, my God, I'm talking to my wife, Roberta, and I said, you know, how am I going to get a call? Am I going to? And finally, when he called me, he said, "Easy." He said, uh, uh, "I finally got every, all, all the uh, OKs, and how would you like to work in Texas next wow. summer?" I said, "Oh my goodness!" Anyway, I was the bullpen coach, Dave, and it was the first time I had had my name on my back, and that was 17 years of working in the minor leagues and all. And I finally got my name on my back, which was, oh boy. When you get your name on your back and you're in the big leagues, you just say, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, so I'm wondering about a, a parallel there. Kind of, a, We talked about full circle earlier. Uh, so a guy that you coached there was Buddy Bell, who was playing there at the time. And later on, much later, you would coach under him when he managed Detroit. So is that where you, did you guys kind of you know get close at that point? Or was it just did you, did you just happen to work for him later and it didn't really have any correlation between that two? No, the, uh, Buddy Bell, first of all, is an absolute, absolute tremendous man. I love Buddy Bell. Uh, you know what? I saw something in uh, uh, Dayton Moore's book about Buddy, and he, he speaks so highly of Buddy, too. Uh, but we came back one year, I don't know whether it was 84 or 85, from spring training, we went from from spring training. We went to Mo, uh, to uh, Baltimore, and Buddy ended up with five or six errors in the series. He was sick; he could not, you know, because down in Mel- down in uh, Pompano, Florida, if you took ground balls, it was like taking them on uh, asphalt. You better be dodging and diving because you're going to get hit right in the lips. And Buddy took about maybe three ground balls all spring because it was a tough assignment. Well, when we got to, when we got back to Texas, uh, we had an off day the next day. And on the on the flight coming into Texas, he said, "Easy, what you doing tomorrow?" He said, "I said, well, nothing." He says, uh, "Can you meet me out here with my boys at about you know, ten o'clock or whatever?" And oh my goodness, uh, Buddy was at third, and his two young boys were one was at second and one was at first, and. I must have hit him a thousand ground balls and just, you know, getting back and getting into the routine. That was something that was really pretty neat. And uh, we, I became uh, friends with him. And during the course of the time, whenever he hired me for, uh, in 1996, I think, 
and that was that was another thing that you know after I guess it was just because of what happened in the past, you know, the Texas experience and the and the the acquaintance, the feeling of you know, I would do what it was gonna take to, you know, make the club better and and went from there. Yeah. Well, from there then you go manage with Toronto uh in nineteen eighty six and eighty seven. After yeah. that, and now here's another name I'm going to bring up, like the Ray Palacios and Barry Raziano, another name you probably haven't thought of. One of the guys you had was a future Royal Enrique Burgos there, who I don't know if you know this, but he had a major league record when he got to Kansas City. He struck out a guy, the guy reached on strike three because it was a wild pitch, and then he wild pitched him down to second, wild pitched him to third, and wild pitched him home, all in the same at bat. So it's like a major league record. But do you remember much about uh, Enrique? I remember that that was a real possibility that he could have done that several times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Great stuff. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes, he... Oh, what an arm he had, but just exactly what you said. <laughs> uh, I also had Todd Stottlemyre. Yeah, yeah. And another thing I also had, uh, the first year I managed, I had uh, Dale Barra. Oh, I didn't know that. Albert was the uh, number one draft pick for uh, Pittsburgh, uh, shortstop in high school. Okay. I got a nice. You want to hear a nice story about that? Yeah. Okay. Here's here's a nice. Anyway, uh, whenever we got to Niagara Falls, Dale is going to be my third baseman, not shortstop. Yogi had not seen Dale play very much, you know, because of course. Baseball in Jersey and baseball in the big leagues, you, you know, kind of run uh, concurrent. And, of course, Yogi was always busy. Well, anyway, Dale's playing third base for me. And as the season goes on, uh, I was at the ballpark, and it was an old racetrack, uh, horse track, whatever it was, in Niagara Falls. And I was at the ballpark early one day, and, I hear the door open, and this guy, I hear just somebody just come firing in the clubhouse. I look around, it's Dale, and he's got his head stuck in his locker, and he's just having such a hard time. <laughs> so I walked up, and I said, Dale, what's going on? He said, my dad just got fired. And, you know, he had, Yogi had just gotten fired from the Mets. I said, Dale, I said, you've been in the game all your life. I said, you know, I said, why don't you go home and you tell, call your mom? And talk to your mom. Well, he went home and then I just happened to know her name is Carmen. And he went home and called Carmen and then come back to the ballpark and he was much better off, you know. Well, anyway, make a long story short, Yogi came to Niagara Falls with his wife, Carmen. They traveled with us for almost a month. Wow. And watched his son play. How about that? Wow, that, how cool was that for you too to be around Yogi, right? Oh uh, well, you know, and I had broken in the Mets organization, and it was just something that was really pretty good. It was pretty cool, Dave. You have to 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to talk about that winner then. So winner of 1987, uh, because the Royals signed you to come over and manage Omaha. So I grew up in uh, grew up in Lincoln, about 45 minutes. So I you know grew up going to games at Rosenblatt Stadium years and years and years. So you know what was your what was your connection to the Royals organization then, and uh, what do you remember about the whole hiring process of coming over here? Well, I didn't have a connection except I knew uh, John John Bowles. Who was who was a farm director? Uh, I had been fired by uh, uh, oh shoot, I can't. Bob, uh, the old guy with Toronto, and we had I had some really really nice players with Toronto. Anyway, uh, nine of my guys in '86 went to the big uh, played in the big leagues, and it was just a you know just quite a group. Anyway. John Bowles was the manager, or was a uh, farm director, and John, uh, I called him, and somehow it worked. He liked what I what he heard over the phone. I loved what you know talking to John. He's nothing but you know straight shoot from the shoulder guy, and it was uh, it was uh, he called me back, and I got the AAA job. And what a nice, what a nice thing that was! You know, before the season was over, uh, I had Jeff Montgomery, I had I had Mike McFarland, I had Gary Thurman, I had um, uh, Buddy Biancolana, I had uh, uh, Tommy Gordon. Tommy Gordon won six in A ball, six in Double A. Came up to us in AAA and, and in fact, pitched the first playoff game for us and then went to the big leagues. How about that? <laughs> All in the same year. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine doing that as a player? No, that's amazing. Oh, boy, he met us in Buffalo. I'll never forget it. Sitting in the middle of, we're sitting in the dugout, Tommy and I, and it was the first day, and he's slipping, he's slipping a baseball, you know, like snapping your finger. And I said, hey, Flash, you know what? You know who used to do that all the time? He said, no, who's that easy? I said, a guy by the name of Nolan Ryan. And he had one hell of a curve. And, of course, Tommy Gordon did, too. So. Yeah. But it was – anyway. Yeah, so you you mentioned the playoffs. You guys did go to the playoffs that year. You know, what else sticks out, you know, about Rosenblatt Stadium? And did you, did you make it over to the zoo ever? How would you like Omaha? Omaha was this. I – the – the most part now, you know, we had a we had a ball club that was just bust butt. You know, they they uh, we wouldn't give up, and you know, we we weren't great, but we weren't bad either. We weren't our pitching was only okay, and you know, we had Jeff Montgomery. Anyway, uh, what I remember about Omaha was having to leave for the College World Series. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And having to do that was was a little tough. So, <laughs> yeah, that's but, for sure. But you know what? I was fortunate enough. I was in the game, and my boss was John Bowles, and he trusted what I would what I was doing with the young guys and, and the ball club, and that was that was pretty nice. 
Yeah, well, you got rewarded then after that year then. So, uh, you know, the Royals bring you to the big leagues the first few seasons as bullpen coach for the 1989 season. So how did you end up working with Duke and getting that job in KC? Well, Duke, I don't know. I think John Bowles, John Bowles was part of it. And uh, and Duke, uh, I had met uh, John somewhere down the road. I don't know where. And uh, Johnny... And anyway, John being a catcher, you know, I was a catcher. Bolsey was pushing for me to get the job in the big leagues. And uh, it just really, uh, it worked. And John Watson hired me as a bullpen coach for for that year to begin with, yes. Yeah, and you got so you started that year. You know, obviously spring training. I think it's the second year of baseball city there in 1989. Did you ever get over and uh, get a chance to check out any of the uh, any of the rides over at the uh, boardwalk portion? And what do you remember about that about that complex in general? Oh, I remember going from. I remember one of the meetings. We got done early, and it was before the players were there. And I went to Kissimmee and watched the rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I saw that the rodeo was going on, so I went and watched the rodeo, huh? You know, and I found a place to eat in Kissimmee that, oh, every John, uh, uh, John Churros, I told him about it, you know, in, just in passing when I saw him. Uh, well, no, he was with us still, and uh, anyway, uh, La Fourchette in Kissimmee, Florida, and I know one thing. Maria made a lot of money off of baseball people, and it was I was driving by and I was hungry as hell. <laughs> and I look up and there's it says nineteen inch pizza for five dollars. So I stopped, <laughs> <laughs> and it was very authentic. It was absolutely the little restaurant was wonderful. And uh, again, like I say, even now that uh, John Charles has been with uh, Atlanta for years, they he a lot of times would have a, his. Uh, get his whole organization there for dinner. So anyway, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that first, that, that Royals team was really good that year, too. There was no wild card, unfortunately. You guys went 92-70 and 70 in 89, but just could not catch uh, Oakland that year. Do you remember that first season pretty well with the Royals in 89? Well, I, what I remember is that we had, you know, uh, Gubazad. We had, uh, uh, oh, oh. Who was the other right-hander? Saberhagen, Gordon? Saberhagen. Oh, my God. I warmed him up one morning, one time. I warmed him up for his no-hitter that year. <laughs> I think it was, pretty sure it was that year. We just, you know, it was just an incredible group of men. Yeah. Oh, so you actually warmed him up with a, I think it was 91, the no-hitter, but you actually warmed him up that day? That's great. Yeah, and I got the ball. <laughs> I got the ball he warmed up with still. <laughs> That's amazing. And yeah, well, it was nice. You know, I, you know, years years run together. You, re- I just one one second, uh, uh, Dave. No, no problem. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so 1990 then. So Sports Illustrated picks you guys to win the World Series. You have the highest payroll in baseball, which is kind of hard to believe now, but the Royals did in 1990 have the biggest payroll. Mark Davis, Storm Davis come in. Uh, you guys obviously struggled that year. It was a kind of a, a disappointing year. You know, How frustrating was 1990, and what did you feel like kind of went wrong that year? Well, you know, Mark Davis was brought in as a, a guy that was going to you know, 
close every game that he smelled. And uh, it just didn't happen. And, in fact, I would come in some nights, uh, you know, from the bullpen, and, and Duke would call me, and he said, Easy, what the hell is going on? You're telling me this guy's stuff is electric, and, you know, he gets to the hill, and, you know, it doesn't happen. Well, I don't know what happened, but that's exactly. He would warm up, and it would be electric, and he would leave the gate going in, and this started right at the, it started right out of the chute, and it never did calm down. He would get to the mound, and it just didn't happen. And I think there was a lot of things that got, had gone on, a lot of money, you know, passed around, and I don't know, uh, you know, what you what you do, what I had to do being never having a major league at bat, never having a chance to be in the big leagues. I had to be as, uh, well, what's the word? I think to the players, I had to be as, as positive as I could, and I tried to do that. And I, I you know, I, I felt like I was on uh, in the spotlight, too, because of not being a major league guy. It sounds kind of crazy, but here I am, a coach, second year as a coach in the big leagues, and we're, we're not doing well. And even a lot of our guys coming out of the bullpen are not doing well. And I just, you worried about that. You know, here I am, I've got a chance to get back to the big leagues, and all of a sudden, boom, good year last year. A little scuffle this year, and then uh, you know, uh, it wasn't fun. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, one fun thing to think about from that year was, I guess that's the last year in Kansas City for Bo Jackson. So, so kind of talk about what kind of player he was, uh, and then do you have a favorite Bo Jackson story or memory? I have a memory of this man of being one of the greatest athletes. I, you know what? I think if Bo had a played baseball all his early life, uh, and only baseball. There was no telling what he would have, what he would have been or could have been, because there was, you know, I saw him run up the wall and down the wall in Baltimore. I saw him snap the bat over his knee. I, I was uh, just fortunate enough to watch this guy take batting practice. You know, he, he usually hit in George Brett's uh, uh, group all the time. And uh, whenever he would have it going, oh, my goodness, you know, the ball would jump off his bat and sound like uh, uh, Buck O'Neill said it the best. He said, you know, I don't even have to be on the field, and I know when when Bo's hitting. And he said there are three people and Buck O'Neill said this. He said, there's three people that I knew who was hitting the ball. Josh Gibson, and he said, and I didn't even have to see him. Uh, uh, Bo Jackson and Babe Ruth. He said, I could walk in and know these guys were swinging the bat. How about that? That's a pretty good uh, comparison, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well... Uh, the next year is ninety one. Then, so you guys, uh, you obviously started off, you know, difficult again, fifteen and twenty two, and they uh, let Duke go. Uh, so Bob Schaefer manages one game, and then Hal gets brought in. Uh, so I mean, that process, how difficult was it for you to see Duke go? 
I mean, obviously you ended up staying on with Hal. Were you worried that you may not stay on with Hal? What do you remember about that whole process? I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew this. You know what? I, I was going to be as fair and as honest with whomever asked me a question about what uh, I could be. And uh, when, when Matt came in, he came in in uh, Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, oh, boy, what a nice, uh, it was a change. I knew Mac. I knew he was the toughest son of a gun. And it wasn't too long after that. We were home, and Mac brought me from the bullpen to the bench. And, oh, boy, what a, you know, and I didn't know Mac. I just knew what kind of a great player he was. And uh, I got an opportunity to sit there and uh work along with Hal McRae and, and just try to uh, assist and it and the the connection and the friendship really really and the, and the an associate. I was an associate of Max and that's how it that's how it all went right there. Well, 92 ended up being another tough year, but uh, some amazing seasons you had. A couple Royals Hall of Famers, uh, future Hall of Famers on the mound there. Kevin Apier, Jeff Montgomery. Talk about those two guys. Oh, you know, Ape was, well, let's talk about Jeff Montgomery. He pitched for me in, in, in Omaha, and, you know, I was in the bullpen with him in the big leagues, too. And sometimes Jeff would, you know, he was a perfectionist. He thought he had to throw in so many pitches down in the bullpen, and he did. You know, to get his head straight, he threw so bad, dumb many pitches. You know, and I always thought that he, you know, he was going to wear himself out. But boy, you know, he would keep you on, uh, you know, nail biters a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. and it would be, you know, he'd he'd come in in a, in a closing situation, and oh my goodness, you know. Your depth would go one and two and two and two and three and two and it, you know. But uh, what a competitive young man! And even in Omaha, he he was he went after it. In fact, in Omaha in '88, he uh, there was two guys, him and uh, Jerry Don Gleaton, I think. Yeah. And uh, Jeff got a nod over Jerry, and I think Jerry got to back to the big leagues there too. I think he did. Yep. Um, oh, you know, and Kevin Apier, there was, here's a kid that just, all he had to do is throw fastballs because that dead gum thing just jumped everywhere. But, you know, everybody thought he was going to tear up his arm because how he fell off. But uh, there were some people that didn't feel that. And, you know, Ape was so goofy. Uh, He was fun to to watch pitch. He was fun in the clubhouse, but, you know, because he was very, very bright, very, very smart. Um, but, oh, boy, I loved to watch him pitch. He had some magnificent stuff. And, you know, I, I'm thinking here, I'm sitting here with you thinking, God, are we talking about my career? We're growing my, you know, from A to Z. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> You're probably just surprised. You're like, wow, I was around a lot of great people, wasn't I, right? Oh, well, I knew that. You know what I've <laughs> tried to teach at the end of my my uh, association with the young men? I said, make sure you write, you keep a journal. All you have to do is just write one line or two lines. 
if I would have done that, oh, my Lord. I remember breaking down at about 4 in the morning in, in Conway, Georgia, or someplace like that, and <laughs> parked on the side of the... Uh, on the <laughs> On the side of the freeway there, waiting for another bus that got there about seven thirty, eight o'clock the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the other... you know, I, I, and all you, all I would have needed to do is just jot down one line: oh for two against whomever. You know, uh, you know, we had uh, the windshield blew out of the, the, the blue goose coming out of Durham, going to play in Burlington. You know. <laughs> Oh shoot! There's so much. <laughs> and one story always makes you remember another. I'm sure, right? They all start. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so '93 then was. I got to ask you about George Brett. That was the final year that he had. What was it like? Uh, you know, being around him. Where does he rank? Well, being around George Brett was being around a, a superstar, a Hall of Famer, a guy that played the game like it was supposed to be played, and. Oh, just uh, I was so lucky to get a chance to watch these guys play and then use, you know, in working with young people after that, just use them as a, hey, here's a guy that, you know, 90 feet was nothing. It didn't matter whether it was a two-hopper to the pitcher or whether it was a, uh, a ground ball or shortstop. 90 feet is nothing. He had to take place. And... Uh, just using him as that example, watching him do that, you know, the, throughout the throughout the years that I was there while he was playing, it was, it was pretty nice, pretty nice. Yeah. You know, he 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 was a true he was a true Hall of Famer. Tough guy to get to know. So was both. But once he once they figured out, once they figured out, you as a coach was doing all only. Had no ulterior motives. Had no uh, nothing but the best interest for the ball club. Then you knew that uh, these guys, you know, they they oh they accepted what you were the ball about, and that was uh, trying to help the ball club. Well, you mentioned earlier 1994. So one of my favorite years, I was like probably, what, 13, 14 years old during that year. I distinctly remember that the 14-game winning streak, and you guys were sitting at 64 and 51. Now, to this day, I feel bad for the Expos, too, because they were like about to win 115 or something. But to this day, I believe that uh, the Royals would have won the division or at the very least gotten the wild card. So how certain are you? Are you with me that you guys would have been in the playoffs in 94 without the strike? Well, I'm telling you, we were... We had, I, I can't tell you the exact rotation we had, but it was an easy, uh, you know what, it was an easy uh, go-to-work day, every day, because, uh, and I'm working right along with Hal McRae, and it felt like, you know, Mac would write up the lineup, I'd, put, I'd post it and, and put it on the big card and post it, and, you know, you just looked around the, the clubhouse and you just knew you knew that uh, there was a real good chance we were going to kick somebody's butt that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, oh, my goodness, it was just a matter of time. It was like Brian McRae said, it's just, it was just a matter of time before we ran off this many in a row. And, uh, shoot, then all of a sudden, boom. But I, you know, I, I know that there was a lot of talk about 
when was the last time did we have a real good ball club in Kansas City? Well, you know what? That that two, that 1994 team was real good because it had, these guys, they played kind of like the club this year or last year, you know, with Casey. It was just, let's go, guys. You know, it was very quiet. No, you know, we weren't quite as young as the, the 14 and 15 uh, Royals, but these guys knew how to knew how to handle the action and, and you... knew what to do and knew to go after it and, you know, knew how to win. And, oh, boy, that was so fun. Yeah, that you you mentioned uh, the rotations. You, of course, you had Apier, and you had uh, you had uh, Chris Haney and Gubaza, and then you had David Cohn. How about a Cy Young for him that year? He was I, amazing. Coney, we did. Yeah, I I remember. Yes, we had Coney. Oh my goodness! You know, he'd throw out five hundred pitches a night, but <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to paint everything. But boy, was he boy was he nice to have. What a, and what a competitor he was, Dave. What a competitor. Yeah, well, after yeah. after that year's where things kind of got depressing uh, for Royals fans. Of course, you have a lot of factors. You have the strike. You have uh, you and Kaufman, you know, passing away, and they're kind of in a flux and all that. So, following that year, then, so Hal and the Royals part ways. Then uh, Bob Boone got brought in. It, it, so, from how I've always been told, you know, Hal basically chose to walk away. But either way, you know, at what point did you find out that you weren't coming back for '95, and were you kind of surprised that Hal walked away? No, Hal didn't walk away. Uh, we were, this is, uh, I got a call in September. And uh, I said, oh, shoot, okay. This is during the strike. And I, and I thought, well, it's going to be, they're going to uh, assign us to go to instructional league or whatever. And Hal called me, uh, let's see, we had gotten a call at night in September to, uh, if we were going to be around at 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, tomorrow morning, because we, we wanted to have a conference call. And uh, this, was from, this was from the office. And uh, so before 9 o'clock in the morning, I got a call from Hal. And Hal said, easy. He says, uh, I just got let go. And uh, he said, I told... Herp Robinson that he can't let you go. He says they got to keep you, and uh, he said, but you're probably going to get a phone call pretty quick. And sure enough, I got a phone call. Rather than being placed somewhere in the organization, the phone call was it uh, nice talking to you. Have a good life. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, not quite like that, but we got we were let go. I was let go at that time too. So uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, well, it had to have been tough, too, especially after that and great year. You know what? It was too bad because Mac had really, 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 I had really enjoyed working with him. He had become, you know, they said something about the young guy's shit. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't care. It's all good. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> he said something about, they said something about he wasn't able to handle the young kids. Tommy Gordon and uh, Kevin Apier and I went. Oh my God, this guy! And uh, uh, oh, who was our pitching coach? Right-hander from Pittsburgh. Oh man. Uh, who was pitching coach '94? <clears throat> I should know this off the top of my head, and I don't. <laughs> I'm anyway, he was doing a hell of a job too, and and it, it was like, you know what? 
I went, why? But that's, baseball is like that, and we know that, and we, it's just how it is. Yeah, well, kind of a raw deal, but that's that's my words. But so uh, so ninety five, then uh, you managed Modesto in High A for the A's. Uh, you had a guy named Brad Rigby there, by the way, which was later traded in the Kevin Apier trade. Then uh, ninety six, you were with Detroit, like we talked about earlier, coaching for Buddy Belt, the major league level. And then ninety seven, so you manage at Triple A for Detroit, um, and then eventually. Uh, you go over to Tampa Bay for a couple of years, 2001 to 2002, and then you eventually get named uh, Director of Player Development for Detroit, which is obviously a, a pretty big deal. How much of an honor was it for you to be Director of Player Development for the Tigers? Well, the honor was this. When Steve Boros, and you know Steve Boros worked for Steve Boros, basically when I got, when Mac and I got let go from Tampa Bay, I called Steve immediately, and he was Director of Player Development for the Tigers. And Steve and I had worked very closely together uh, from... 97 till I went to I went to the Tampa Bay halfway through 2001 and was there 2001 and 2002 and I, the Mac is the one that brought me to Tampa Bay in the half you know halfway through that season but anyway uh, the the neatest part about becoming director of player development was that Steve Worrells had uh, total confidence in passing the baton to me to become that within the system. Yeah, you definitely were. I mean, the 2006 Tigers, I mean, you'd worked with a lot of those guys. 11 of the 25 guys on that World Series roster had come through the uh, the farm system. That had to be kind of a feather in your hat, right? See, that was, that was a, how did you know 11? <laughs> is that wrong, Is that or is that right? No, that's, I, yeah, that's right. It was, they were, 11 guys left a footprint, yeah. Some of them pretty good ones. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a, a good team. Oh, man. And that was, you know what I did, David? I, uh, I made them wear stirrups, sanitaries, and I made them wear their pants. They couldn't wear pajamas in the minor leagues. <laughs> <laughs> they had to wear their pants up. And... From day one, Curtis Granderson. Whenever, whenever Curtis Granderson bought in, and when was it? It was in uh, the spring of, uh, of uh, nineteen or two thousand and three, or maybe even spring uh, instructional league two thousand and three. When Curtis Granderson bought in, you know he was a good player. And the rest of the guys, then all of a sudden it was less difficult to make them play the game, you know, without play. I said, when you get to the big leagues, you can do whatever you want to. You know, it don't even work. But right now, you know, uniform, one form. And we are putting the uniform on, one form for the organization. And that's what I, you know, I hammered that in. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was good. And... And they looked like they uh, uh, had a baseball uniform on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and uh, that's kind of a Dayton Moore thing too. Dayton does similar stuff, and you can't you can't have the sunglasses over the KC on the hat. Can't be covering that up. It's kind of old school, and it works, doesn't it? You know what? All of this is just a little bit of discipline. And if yeah. you have guys that buy in, if you have a staff member, and this is what's happened with Kansas City too. They've bought in all wonderfully. And had all you know since, actually since day one. But how about 
Jersley getting to coach third base. How about that? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about a guy that deserves it after all those years in Omaha. Oh, right? how about that? I, you know, I think about that. Uh, Jershon. Uh, oh, my God. That is a thing of beauty, Hoss. Yeah, it's amazing how many guys I talk to that, that they bring that up, and I've never heard a bad thing about him from probably fifty people that have brought him up. He just a well, I remember Gujers from way back. I'm talking way back, and just steady. You know what? It's like this is my this is my motto: consistently persistent, and persistently consistent. That's great. Yeah, that's good. And I used it, and that's what this man was. And sometimes you don't even know that you're doing it, but I found those words, and it was, you know, that was with my grandchildren, with me, with, you know, the players that I associated with. That was it. Yeah. But, yeah, the uh, being, having 11 guys, of the 25 that played in that series, even though, you know, we we kicked butt and took names uh, and sat for a, almost a full week before we played the first game because uh, for St. Louis was winning in the last game of the series every dadgum time. Yeah. <laughs> they were and nice they and came fresh. And they came in fresh, and we had sat for almost a week. And uh, plus it was cold. Oh, my God. Anyway, it was it was fun. That was that was something that was amazing. Yeah. Well, you ended up, uh, what, mid-2010 was the end of the Tigers. And then uh, I guess uh, my last four questions for you, you know, thanks for all your time, but let's let's end it by kind of coming back to Kansas City then. So your favorite overall memories, you're sitting there in Tucson, Arizona right now, thinking back to your Kansas City days. Well, you know, what are your favorite memories when you just think back right now? Getting, just being fortunate enough and I am humble enough to, to be able to get to that ball. You know, just going to work, going to work at the ballpark, going to work with the people that I was associated with, and there were so many wonderful guys, you know, the players. Hal McRae was, and well, John, uh, John Watson. You know, I can go on and on and on and on and on. But just having the opportunity to go to work at the ballpark in Kansas City and working and being with the players that were there, that was that was as good as it gets right there, Dave. Yeah, what were your uh, what were your favorite uh, Kansas City hot spots? Any any restaurants or places you liked to frequent when you were here? And, and did you always live out in uh, in Overland Park then or did you kind of move around during your times here? No, we lived we had a little uh Condominium in our uh, townhome in uh, Lee Fall, Lee's Falls, just off of the 135th and uh, and State Line. Okay, was the first place we lived, and then we moved over to off of 151st, uh, right near the little uh, airport there. You know, the Executive Airport, mm-hmm. and that was it. But uh, you know what? Not being with Kansas City. Uh, after 94, my time when I would get back to KC was with my grandchildren, my grandson Nicholas and my granddaughter uh, Mackenzie, and, and just staying at home. But uh, where was it? Oh, I can't even remember the name. There wasn't a whole lot of places we went when we did. It was just uh, 
uh, it was all good. You know what? It was all good. Yeah, there, there ain't much bad food around here, especially a barbecue, right? No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> do you uh, do you make it back here to KC much anymore? Well, I haven't yet, but we. My granddaughter's birthday is April third, and I've not missed one. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, that's op- um, that's opening day, isn't it? April third, I believe it is. It is, and you know what? I uh, I would always prepare well ahead whenever I was running spring training and all of this, you know, with the with the tigers, that I I I might leave a day early because that was you know Mackenzie's birthday and. I would, I would, uh, we may be back there then, I'm not sure, Dave, but uh, the most, you know, it might be the first time I miss it, so. Uh, well, we we shall see, I guess. I guess uh, the last thing I have for you is, uh, you know, in summary, what would you like to say to Royals fans that are listening right now? Uh, you know, I think this, that the young men that are playing the game for Kansas City right now, the leadership that they've had through Dayton Moore, uh, all of the minor league people, and all of the, and and uh, Ned Yost, boy, they bought in. And if you buy in as a team, like they have, and of course a lot of them grew up together, which is oh God, that's uh, you can't you can't. Uh, ask for anything more than to have several of your young players having come up through the minor leagues together. Uh, what an organization. It is something that everybody ought to try to uh, follow because it is wonderful how it happened. It took a while, but you said, what, were there 800,000 at the parade? 800,000, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, they... They got somebody's attention, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then so. Well, you know, I want to thank you. You know, going back to my youth, I can remember you. You know, I was just seven, seven years old when you managed Omaha, but I've got an old program, so I remember that. And I've got the, you know, I remember the old yellow and, and blue and red chairs. I've got some of the, I bought some of those yellow chairs, by the way, when they tore oh, down golly, Rosenblatt. Really? <laughs> yeah, so I've got a couple of those yellow chairs in my like my rec room, my sports room. But you know, I want to thank you for the memories there, and then obviously I remember you, you know, from those Royals teams from '89 to '94, and you know, it's been oh, it's been a pleasure, you know, hearing about from day one to you know my you know a lot of connections. My my sister lives there in Tucson, and all the stuff here in KC and in between. So it's it's been a, a true pleasure uh, speaking with you, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll get together and and do lunch here one of these days when you're back. Hopefully we'll make it back here in the next year or two. Well, and also Dave, let me let me say this too: if you ever in Tucson, go to the Pima uh, County Sports Hall of Fame. It is magnificent. It's little. It's got all of the all of the collages, you know, on the uh, of of the guys that are there. Oh my goodness, it is so neat. It is really neat. I will. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll be back out there. I love. I love going out there. I always go to old Tucson Studios and Tombstone and drive to Tombstone and do all that. <laughs> it's touristy stuff. So. Well, yeah. thank you for remembering me. And uh, I, you know what? I could talk for another two hours and not even bat an eye. I think you know that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, well tra- <laughs> here's one for you, Bo Jackson. I'm throwing batting practice and underneath, and Bo Jackson walks out with that uh, compound bow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he sets a, 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 a target up on the uh, pitcher's mounds, with her, which, you know, I'm inside the cage. And Bo sets the compound, uh, the, the uh, target up on the pitcher's mound, and not even 10 feet from me. Of course, I'm inside the, the cage, you know, where the netting. 
And I said, Bo, what if that hits that wall right behind it? It was a, the brick wall behind the, the uh, <laughs> pitching mound. He says, easy. He says, don't you, don't you worry. He says, don't you worry. I'll, okay, so the next, the first arrow that was shot, almost dead center of the bull, of the bullseye, <laughs> and I, oh, Lord, it was like five of them. And I said, Bo, Bo, I, you know, I know you, I know you're really good. But you know what? That's real close. <laughs> so then he backs down. There's a, there was a, a little, uh, uh, oh, like a, a, a gully in the in the drive where the trucks come down to, to load up. He backed down there, and you could hardly see his head. And and the uh, the the uh, target is still sitting on the mound. And I'm saying, there's no way. And all of a sudden, it's, he's like 50 yards away. And right, you know, he didn't miss the red at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, next, next. Oh, God. And I hear, I'm hear i going batting practice. That's extra BP to somebody. And he's over, you know, he's shooting a ball there, all right. You know, and I just know it's going to hit the, the brick wall behind the mound there and just splatter everywhere. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff, Paul. Anyway, yeah. Well, well, we'll uh, I got <laughs> someday. We'll uh, we'll have to talk again next time. Next time, I'll uh, I'll bring up some of the uh, some of the obscure names that you've managed and coached. Some of the guys you haven't heard in 20 years and get some stories. Oh, I, I love oh, hearing about those guys. Oh, they're wow! Barry Raziano and and Burgos and. Uh, Oh my God! Like my all-time, you know my, you know who my all-time favorite major league player is because the first game I went to in the major leagues, he got a base hit and he had the same jersey number as me, played the same positions. I so I adopted Brad Wellman as my all-time favorite major league player. Oh God, I know Brad. <laughs> yeah, he's coming to KC in a couple weeks for an event. I get to finally meet him. I'm really excited about it. Oh man, thank you very much, and, and do send me an email and or whatever, and uh, let me know what's going on and. Uh, I'll talk to you down the road, buddy. Sounds good. Take care. God bless, and thanks so much for your time. Okay, thanks now, and so long. Bye-bye.